Okay, we're in Lent and a series entitled Public Jesus. We're exploring uh, what Jesus' ministry looks like in public. And we're in Luke chapter 15 today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead to turn to Luke chapter 15. Honestly, this could be my favorite chapter in the entire Gospel of Luke. I hope some of my uh, contagious enthusiasm perhaps will rub off on at least a few of you uh, this morning because all the way through this text, Jesus is passionately pursuing and finding lost things. Jesus delights in the lost. And more than just delighting in the lost, Jesus delights in finding those who are lost. In this text, there are two very strong messages happening here. And the first is really quite obvious. God's really in the business of seeking and finding lost things. Like sheep, coins, and people. Most importantly, people. I find that as I get a little bit older, I forget stuff and lose stuff. You can't find stuff. Anybody here? And the other people are just lying, so that's just, that's just the deal, right? I mean, I can, I can hear an 80s or a 90s rock song on the radio and know within two notes the lyrics and start singing it from memory but I, for the life of me, can't remember why I just walked upstairs to my upstairs office to go find whatever it is that I was going up there to find. I don't know what that's all about. But I do know this. When I lose something, I will move heaven and earth until I find it. Do you do that? God does that with people. God really does that with people. Our text this morning clearly, clearly helps us understand that. There's a second theme in the text, though, that's a little harder to understand. In fact, you you need the umpire to dust off the dirt of home plate. And the only reason I have baseball images in my mind is my younger brother was here and we met up at, at Cal State Fullerton and watched the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers, unfortunately, get beat by Cal State Long Beach last night. And uh, the game started out, the temperature was fantastic, and by the end it was a little chilly and we all kind of wanted some hot chocolate or maybe a, a hot wassail drink, I'm not sure, but just to warm our bones just a bit. But you have to dig a little easier or a little harder to understand this second theme. And the second theme is interesting because it goes a little bit like this. Have you ever found yourself bemoaning how bad things seem to be to an extent that you miss the beautiful that's right in front of your eye? You ever done that? That second theme is also in this text. The first theme is easy to see. God loves to seek and find lost things. We're on board. But there's another theme that I hope to explore with you here today, and it goes like this, that sometimes we're just so bummed out about how crummy everything is that we really can't see the beautiful that's right in front of our very eyes. 
I confess to you, I had this kind of week myself, you know, and I, I, I would hunch many of us did too, because in the middle of the week, we got news. There was, a, there was another bombing in New Zealand, Christchurch. And I don't know about you, but when I hear things like that, even though they're very far away, I feel a deep sense of compassion inside for the reality and the profundity of what has just happened. So I was kinda, kind of on a downward slide, right? The itty-bitty talking committee in my mind was, man, I can't believe how bad things are getting. This is ridiculous. It's the rhetoric. It's the activity. It just doesn't end. It's just, you, you, know the, you know that conversation? Do you ever have that? So I was starting down that road, and then Friday came. Now Friday, if you don't remember, is the day that I get to be grandfather for 10 hours, which is a really long time, <laughs> by myself, with my 15-month-old, almost 16-month-old granddaughter, Cora who's going to start saying intelligible words any day. But for now, it's just a lot of screeching and pointing. Anyway, she came over, and we had a wonderful day, and I got a text from Don about 2.57 in the afternoon, but who's counting? Hey, I'm gonna get off early, I'll be home soon. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I can be free two and a half hours earlier. So sure enough, Don comes home about 3.15, and now it's the three of us, and I feel an extreme sense of relief, right? And Don asks uh, Cora, do you want to go out for a walk? And Cora, Cora loves being outside. Cora's like, yeah, let, yeah, let's go out for a walk. And then Don asks me, do I want to go out for a walk? And I'm like, yeah, because it's like 84 degrees, and it's been three months since we've had this. So the three of us go outside on a walk. Cora's in the lead. Dawn has our dog, Bogey, and I'm walking and along, and Cora's leading us down the sidewalk. And we begin to walk, and Dawn and I hold hands. And Cora turns around, and I'm not kidding you, this kid locks in for about one second on Dawn and I holding hands. And you can see the wheels turning in her mind. And she stops and she comes to us, and she looks up to both of us, and she goes like this. Because she wants a piece of this too, right? And that's how we walked. Cora is in the middle of Dawn and I. Now, just being on a walk with the three of us makes life absolutely worth living. But now holding hands, can it get any better? Now, if I was too concerned about how crummy the world was to stay inside and watch the latest version of television about that event, I would have missed the beautiful right in the midst of the catastrophe. And that's a lot of what's happening in this text this morning. And I feel I really have to say this. 
You know, when God creates all people in God's image, that means every human being is an image bearer of God in some way. So if the image of God is created and embedded in every single human being, and there's no clause that says except Muslims or atheists or agnostics, or Confucians, or Zoroastrians, then we never have a right to bomb anyone else who's different than us. Nor do we have a right to barrier off anyone else who's different than us. But if we're too busy bemoaning how bad the state of the world is, I guarantee you, my friends, we're going to miss two very important things. There is beauty right in the front of our eyes if we have the eyes to see it. And we're also going to miss those very powerful and strong moments when a missional God leaves behind 99 safe sheep to go and run after one lost sheep. And we're also going to miss a woman who has basically her entire IRA retirement account of 10 silver coins and misplaces one of them and tears her house apart trying to find it. And when she finds her lost coin and when the shepherd finds his lost sheep, the text says there's a party in heaven. Don't you love that? Have you ever thought about what a party in heaven would look like? I was, I was like trying to figure this out last night. What does a party in heaven look like? I mean, does everybody drink their beverage with a red Solo cup? I don't know. I, I don't know. What kind of music is in heaven at a party like this? Who knows? I mean, who really, really knows? I'm trying to get my mind around. I mean, is there dancing in heaven? I mean, and what kind of dancing? Right? All I know is what the text says. There's dancing going on in heaven. There is some kind of party. So let's take a look at this text, and I'm going to try and speed things up uh, and notice, help us notice a few things all the way through. Luke chapter 15, the first couple verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. This is good news. This is lost people gathering together around Jesus to hear him. Good news, right? Okay, it is good news. Until our muttering rascals show up, which is the next sentence. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, lawyers, not all lawyers, definitely not you, John, or Monica. Look look at this. Muttered. They were muttering. They were muttering. They were murmuring. They were grumbling. They were complaining. Who, who is this guy? This, this guy welcomes sinners and, and eats with them. What's he doing? See the juxtaposition of what's being set up right out of the gate? <laughs> Love this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. Wait, is this the next? Okay, freeze. I'm not going to read that yet. So get the picture here. 
Jesus is gathering all kinds of marginal people, people that we don't like to hang out with. And he's getting really famous about this. And the Pharisees and the lawyers, they grumble. How can they, how can they do that? How, how, what's he doing? What's, what, what's happening here? He's hanging out with tax collectors. Well, basically, nobody likes tax collectors. But later on in the story, the, the younger son wastes all, <laughs> he wastes all of his inheritance in wild living and prostitutes. It says it right in the text. So these folks are worried about how bad it is right in front of them that they're not going to be able to see the good that's about to unfold. Because God absolutely delights in leaving the mass found for the one lost. And when the one lost is found, man, it's a red solo cup party in heaven. And I'd even be willing to suggest maybe that there's country music involved. That was for my wife. So there's three lost things going on in here. I'm not going to read the first two. I need to make up time. There's the lost sheep. There's a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. He loses one. He leaves his 99 safe sheep to go and find the lost one. When he finds the lost one, he comes back and there's a party in heaven. And the mutterers still mutter. The mutterers still mutter. Because Jesus' idea of of repentance is a lot simpler and different than the Pharisees and the lawyers. Because the Pharisees and the lawyers want the lost, now found one, to come back and engage in all their stuff the way they've always laid it out. And Jesus says, no, you got you guys, you're muttering and grumbling and complaining because you're missing the point. You're not seeing the beauty right in front of you. It's not about how bad it is. It's about how free it's becoming. Listen, we moved heaven and earth for that one lost sheep to be found. This is good news. Really, to be found in Jesus' economy is to, is to repent, which is to turn around and return home. No more, no less. Period. Party. Right? So there's a lost and found sheep. There's also a lost and found coin. Woman owns ten coins. Could have been her dowry. Could have been her bride price. It could have been her life savings, and it probably was all these things. And she, in panic, leaves 90% of her wealth unsecure, turns everything upside down until she finds that one lost coin. Party again. I'm so lucky my children aren't here. Now we get to the parable of the prodigal son, which is simply something like this. Which son was most lost, really? So a younger son, father has two sons, younger son goes to his father and says, you know what, I want out. I want my half of the inheritance now. 
Father's in a bit of a predicament. Uh, in order to do this, he has to sell half of his property to someone else, cash out, take the cash from half of his property, and give it to his youngest son. So he does this in a world when you don't do this. In other words, the son, by asking this, heaps shame upon shame upon shame upon shame upon shame five times onto his father. Because the father is shamed in public five times. He has to sell half of his property. He has to give the cash from the half to the younger son. The younger son, in leaving, wouldn't be around to care for his father in old age, another sign of disrespect. People in the neighborhood and community would judge the father for not having enough courage to say, no, this isn't going to happen. Fourth shame. And interestingly enough, in the ancient culture, you're going to remember when the father sees the son and runs towards him? Remember that at the end of the story? In the culture, in that time, old men didn't run. It was beneath them. Which actually warms my heart, because... I don't want to pull a hammy running in my old age. So he takes his stuff, he shames his father five times, he leaves, he burns through his cash, and you've got to love this phrase, comes to his senses. And then there's this pig thing. He's, he's, he's feeding pigs. He's actually wanting to eat the food offered to the pigs, which if you remember, in Jewish health and temple laws, pigs were untouchable. Big negative. It was unheard of. So this lost son was lost to God, to his father, to his community, and to his brother. This son was lost four times over after he had shamed his father five times over. He comes to his senses and he returns home. And when his father sees him off in the distance, his father can't believe his eyes. For all practical purposes, those two were no longer related. But his father didn't care about any of that. Just like God doesn't care about any of that pigsty stuff. And he ran off and greeted his son, wrapped his arms around him, and gave him a kiss put the best robe in the house on him, put a ring on his finger, and called for the fattest calf that they had to be slaughtered, and a party again with red solo cups was in the near future. God delights in seeking and finding lost things. A sheep, a coin, a son. Now, the story's not over because perhaps dusting off home plate to catch this requires us to go a tad bit further. Because I think the older son was the really lost son. You know why? (laughs) 
Let's read about it. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he saw red solo cups. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became so angry, he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, Dad, all these years, and this is peculiar, I've been slaving away for you. That phrase, slaving for you. Isn't that fascinating? He hasn't been slaving for his father. He's been slaving for himself. It's his stuff. So hyperbole overstates his case and reveals the true state of his muttering heart. And then he goes on to say this second interesting phrase. I've never disobeyed your orders. Where, hmm... Where have we heard something like that before? The Pharisees. The Pharisees. Jesus, we've never disobeyed any of the law. Why are you lightening up, lighting, lightening up on the consequences of the rule of law? The Pharisees, the lawyers, and the older son, perhaps, were the really, really lost in the story. Isn't this crazy? Let's read some more. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours doesn't even recognize him as a brother anymore, When the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? I can just hear it. (laughs) Any of your kids ever do that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I heard that so many times. I'm kind of surprised my children survived. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Or, have you heard this before? Whatever. (laughs) Right? So the older son's really upset. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is already yours. But we had to celebrate. We we have to celebrate. We have to be glad. Because this brother of yours, see, he replaces him back in the family. He restores him to familyhood. He was dead. But now he's, he's alive. What family runs away from a family member. 
He was lost. And now he's found. Well, yeah. Someone's always in the front or the back grumbling and muttering about how bad things are. That's never going to change. But no matter how dark life seems, no matter how dark life seems, God is always making beautiful things. Like two grandparents holding their granddaughter's hand while walking a dog named Bogey. And a bogey's really not that bad in golf. Trust me, I've made some bogeys that were actually beautiful things, all things considered. God's love, God's generosity, God's grace, God's forgiveness is always pursuing people who we don't think deserve being pursued. And yet God finds them and restores. And just because God is so into pursuing people that we don't think deserve being pursued, pursued, That never means God runs out of energy to pursue you and me. Because with God's economy, there's always room to be found by a God who seeks and saves, lost and found things. The story leaves us hanging. We don't know what happened to the older brother, do we? I'm going to leave you hanging today, just like the story. Which character in Luke 15 best represents your true heart. And what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. What an amazing, uplifting story. God never tires to seek and save the lost. And not only that, when there's no one left to seek or save, he's still willing to seek and save us. God doesn't run out of any kind of energy or ideas. No one's story is ever fully written until it is actually fully written when we breathe our last breath. That's called grace. That's called transformation. 
That's called hope. And when we think the world is such a bad place, please, God, give us the grace to see the beauty right in front of our eyes. Because I see it every day in large and in small ways. To your honor and glory, we are challenged this day. Amen.